Well, good morning. The cat's out of the bag. <clears throat> Lazarus out of the tomb. You guys, that's where we're going to be today, just so you know. Uh, my name is Ben. Uh, I have the privilege of being both uh, the vicar, which means pastor in training, and the student director here at Shepherd's Gate. I'm glad if you're joining us here in person or if you're joining us online that you get to worship with us and hear from God's word this morning, especially as we're actually kicking off a new series. Uh, we're, we're looking ahead towards Easter. And today we're going to be looking at the story of Lazarus, but as we go through this week, Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and even Easter itself, we're going to be looking at the impact that Jesus made, not only to all of us, but how he made an impact on some individuals' lives and how he turned their world upside down. And today we're looking at this story of Lazarus, and really one of the big themes that comes out is that God's timing is impeccable. God's timing is perfect. And uh, it's something that we're going to take a closer look at. But as we start off together today, I actually want to look at a story of a, a couple other people. This is uh, Milton and Catherine. Does anybody recognize them? No? Okay, I'll tell you about them. So Milton and Catherine, much like many of you, uh, were needing a little bit of rest. They, uh, they wanted to go on a spring break. Maybe some of you guys are watching from spring break. Maybe you're making plans for spring break right now. See, Milton was a, was a businessman. And he was actually a really good businessman. Uh, he was good at what he did. And then there was his wife, Catherine, who loved and supported him, but oftentimes she fell ill. She wasn't the healthiest person, and so she had sicknesses come and sicknesses go. And so there was a season, all of a sudden, in April, where they decided, you know what? Business is doing well. It's just fine. Catherine's feeling okay. This is the time to go on vacation. That's exactly what they did. They went on vacation. They went over the Atlantic. They went to Europe. They enjoyed some time together. But then, Milton got a call. There's stuff going haywire back at work. We need you here. Can you imagine? You just spent how much money to go to the Magic Kingdom, and all of a sudden, your spouse gets a call that says, we need you back home. Are you happy? Probably not, right? But Milton leaves. He leaves early. He already had planned how long his vacation was going to be, how long they were going to be over there in Europe. They already had tickets. But he went and changed his plans, and, and he left, and he left his wife behind, and she waited there a few more days, and then she left as well. I mean, you can only imagine. This is not the timing that they had thought things were going to work out. They needed this break. They needed this rest, like many of us, right? Just a little bit of respite, a little bit of peace, time to slow down a little bit. But it, it actually worked out in their favor. You see, uh, this photo, photo of Milton and Catherine is a photo of Milton and Catherine Hershey. Milton Catherine Hershey being Milton Hershey who started Hershey's Chocolate Bar, Hershey's Kisses. And you see, Milton and Catherine had purchased tickets for a big boat that was going to leave on April 11th. They were going to go on the Titanic. And so their timing that they, at their time, could have thought, why in the world is this happening to us? You know, our vacation's ruined. This is, this is so awful. They actually ended up saving them. And wouldn't you know also that Milton, at this point, had already created the chocolate bar and the Hershey's Kiss, but he had not yet made Hershey's syrup. <laughs> and so we could have all lost that as well. <laughs> so thank God. <laughs> but there's correspondence after the fact that Catherine sent out going, wow, it was in God's plan that they weren't on that boat. 
but it was only in hindsight that they were able to have the insight that God was trying to protect them, that God had something in store different for them than they had originally planned. The problem is, is that when we don't have hindsight, when we're not on the other side of whatever we're stuck in, then we begin to ask questions, don't we? And we get, begin to wonder, why is this going on? What's happening here? I thought it was supposed to work out. I thought we were supposed to actually enjoy this time. You can just imagine when you're stuck in the middle somewhere and you're not at the end and you don't have the ability to look back, you'll ask questions like this. You'll eventually get to the point where you're asking, God, God, you're late. Where are you? Okay, I mean, I, I wanted you to be here. I asked you to be here. This is what was supposed to happen. This was my plan. This is how it was supposed to work out. And you didn't show up the way I thought you were going to show up. You didn't show up the way I expected you to show up or the way I wanted you to show up. And that is exactly the sentiment of the people in our story today. As we look at Mary and Martha and those surrounding their loved one, Lazarus. So if you would, go ahead and grab a Bible. If you're here in person, you can grab uh, one of the chair Bibles uh, in the chair in front of you or if you're in the front row, the chair underneath, uh, right underneath you. Online, we encourage you to follow along with this text as well. We're going to be in... Uh, John chapter one or chapter eleven, and we're going to be looking at the majority of this chapter. I'm not going to read every single verse, but we're going to work our way through it because it contains mainly this story. And it starts off, and it, and it starts off with these characters that I just mentioned. It's, it starts off with Mary and Martha. You may have heard of them before because Martha is known as uh, this uh, type A one that's cleaning and cooking and prepping. We we see her elsewhere hosting Jesus. Jesus is in her house, and Jesus is teaching, and what is Martha doing? Martha's busy. She's at work. She's trying to prep the food. She's trying to make sure everybody's okay. She's being a great host. And in Martha's view, her deadbeat sister is there sitting at Jesus' feet. But Jesus lets Martha know, Mary chose the right thing. Mary is here, and she's listening to me. She made a good decision. Yes, it's good that you're doing all these things and, you know, keep the appetizers coming, but... <laughs> But Mary chose the right thing. And so now we find out all of a sudden here in chapter 11 that Mary and Martha, they actually have a brother as well. And not only that, but their brother has fallen ill. He's sick. So Mary and Martha go to the source of someone who could do something about it. They, they call out to Jesus. They know, hey, our brother's sick. You know our brother. You've been in our house, and we know you, and we know what you can do. So they reach out, and they say, they say to him with a messenger, they say, Lord, he, he whom you love is ill. I love a couple things about this. Number one, they went to the right place, right? They went to Jesus, someone that could actually do something about it. But their appeal to Jesus wasn't based off of any of their actions or anything about their character or anything about Lazarus. They didn't go, hey, Jesus, we need your help. And remember, remember all that food we gave you? Remember how we hosted you? Remember how you stayed at our house? Or Jesus, you know, Lazarus is sick and he's, you know, what, like a disciple of yours and he's trying to follow after you. Not one of the 12, but one that's learning from you. And, and, and he's a good guy, right? And, and he's doing a good job and he also opened his home up to you. No, their appeal to Jesus has nothing to do with anything that they themselves did but more so has to do with the posture of Jesus' heart towards them. They recognized this. They said, Lord, he whom you love, they didn't even name him. They knew that Jesus would know if a message was sent from Mary and Martha 
They knew that Jesus loved Lazarus. And so they wanted him to do something about it. Jesus responds in this way. But when Jesus heard, it said, this illness uh, does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified. So Jesus hears this message and he already knows the end. He has the end in mind. This isn't going to end in death. He's not going to die. And this is actually a good thing. It's going to be for the glory of God and so that the Son of God, so people will know that Jesus is the Son of God and that he'll be glorified through this sickness. The next verse helps clarify for us. It's not just Mary and Martha who believe that Jesus loves them. It actually says here in John eleven five. 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. The term right there, too, is an agape love. It is a godly love towards them. Jesus, in fact, loved them, which we need, verse 5, so we can understand the rest of the chapter. He, in fact, loved them, but then he does something like this. In verse 6, he says, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. If you're broken down on a roadside and you call a good friend of yours and you say, hey, I need help changing, I need a spare or I need a lift, and they say, yes, I love you and I'll be there in two days. <laughs> Is that a good friend? But, but that's, that's what Jesus did here. We know that he loves him. He knows that there's illness. He knows that the person that he loves, Lazarus, is sick. And for whatever reason, Jesus intentionally delays because he's working on his timeline, not on Mary or Martha or Lazarus' timeline. He's working on his own timeline. He stays two days longer, and then what we actually find out is that Jesus has to tell his disciples. He he gathers his disciples up, and he says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they say, well, that's good. He's sick, right? So if he's sick, then he's going to get well, you know, rest and fluids, right? So that's, he's going to get better. And then Jesus has to pull the veil back and explain to them exactly what he means. And he says this, and he says, he told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. What profound words from Someone that is the friend of Lazarus. I'm glad. I'm glad he died. I'm glad he died for your sake. And this is where we start to see a little bit of Jesus' timeline, just being the veil being pulled back to understand what exactly he's doing here because he's trying to work things for good, for Mary, for Martha, for Lazarus, but also for his disciples so that they may believe. Now all of a sudden we're getting some insight that it's not just about those that are reaching out to Jesus and praying to Jesus, hey, come and fix our situation. Come and help us out. But there's more people at play because Jesus is not only concerned about this one family that he loves, but he's also concerned about the faith of his own disciples. So him and his disciples head to Bethany. And his disciples recognize this, that if they go there, they're in harm's way. Because when they were there last, that there were people that wanted to take Jesus' life. They wanted to arrest him. They wanted to capture him. They, they were not happy with the ministry that he was doing. To the point even that they said, if they go there, they're going to stone you. They're going to kill you. And when Jesus says, let's go there, but let's go to him, Timothy replies, 
let's follow him so that we can all die. Like this cheery disciple letting it, like, all right, let's go. This is where we're headed. We're going to go die just like Lazarus is dead. But they follow him, and as they approach Bethany, as they get towards the town, but they don't get to the house, word gets out to Mary and Martha that Jesus is finally coming a little late. And Martha goes out to meet him, actually almost two miles outside the city, and, it says, and says to Jesus these words, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. This is a profound statement of faith. The first half of this I find very relatable. The second half is kind of hard to understand. The first half she's asking, she's making the statement to him to say, Jesus, if you'd been here, you could have done something about this. But I love the second sentence where she says, but even now, and that we have to hang on to those words. They'll come back up a little bit later. But even now, whatever you ask. So she has this, this vibrant faith. And she's, she again, this is this type A sister, the one that was getting everything done. So she comes out to Jesus. You can imagine arms crossed. If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. But even now, I believe that whatever you ask, God will give you. And it enters into the, she enters into this dialogue with Jesus. So Jesus answers her and said to her, your brother will rise again. At this point, Lazarus has been dead four days. She'd been crying for four days. She'd been mourning for four days. She had buried her brother the day that he died because that's what they did in their culture. He'd been in a tomb for four days. And then Jesus comes and has the audacity to say to her that your brother will rise again. And Martha, again, and seemingly I don't understand exactly where she has this faith, but she goes, I know. I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. I know that he'll rise, but... I know that's a promise that's far off. It's a promise that's not right now. It's a promise that's not right here. But I can trust because I know God's word is that he'll be raised up on the last day. So I can have confidence, yes, so you're trying to comfort me right now, just like we will try to comfort in a funeral setting. You know, we'll be with him again. You'll be there again. But here the thing is, it's not just a human that's there to comfort her, but it's actually God in flesh. And so he answers her in this way. Jesus said to her, I and the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He flips the script and he goes, this is not a hope or a promise that's for one day that you can trust in, but this is actually a person that is present and standing in front of you. This idea of a resurrection is actually flesh and blood, and it is Jesus, and I'm standing before you. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And then asked her again because he, she's questioning him and then he turns the tables on her. Do you believe this? And again, Martha's faith is just astounding. She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one, the son of God who is coming into the world. And so we see this like amazing faith from Martha. But does she really believe that God can do something about it? Four days dead. Can he actually, anything actually be done? What happens next is actually Martha heads back to the house and gets Mary, who's there. She's mourning. She's crying. There's actually other believers, other uh, Jewish people. They're in the home with her that are comforting her because that's what people can do, right? In a time of mourning and sadness that you can just show up and you can just be there. And so Mary runs out of the house when she hears that Jesus is there, the teacher is there, and that, that Jesus wanted to talk to her. And then Mary comes out of the house to the same spot where Martha was. So Jesus is not 
in Bethany. He's not in the house yet. He's just waiting for Mary to come out to him. And when Mary comes out to where Jesus was, she saw him and she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Does that sound familiar? It's word for word, the same thing that Martha said. Martha said it standing, meeting Jesus, meeting Jesus without anyone else around, the first one when she heard that Jesus was coming into town and had some questions for him. Because this happens to us, right? That all of a sudden when things aren't going our way, when our timeline is not making sense to us, any earthly sense, when things aren't getting answered, then we, we have questions for God. And that's exactly what Martha did. But here's what Mary does. Mary falls to, his feet, or falls to Jesus' feet and says the exact same words, but just says it in a different way. Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. I love that we have this story in Scripture because I think it's so relatable. Because all of us have these. We all have these moments, these if-only moments. I know for me, a simple one that it was just this last week. For those of you that don't know, we, uh, my family's been here two years. We, we, we moved in the middle of a pandemic. And when we moved, we, uh, we were, you know, cleaned our house out. We owned a home down outside of Houston, Texas, and we moved up here. And we were carrying that house with us for a little while, and we were able to sell it while we were there. Well, lo and behold, Zillow still thinks I own that home, and they wanted to let me know how much it's worth now. So you can imagine that I had an if-only moment, if only, God, and it would all go to the building campaign, all of it, if only you had done that. But in your life, is there an if-only moment? And it doesn't have to do just with finances, but with your own personal health or with your loved ones or with your job, if only things had worked out differently. If only I would have been the one that got the promotion. If only we were the one that got the offer on the house. If only our loved one was still here today and the doctor actually did what he was supposed to do and they didn't pass. If only we had caught the cancer a little bit earlier then we'd still have them here with us today. If only, God, if only you had intervened, if only you had showed up when I asked you and when I needed you because I know you're powerful and I know you're loving, yet, God, you didn't show up. If only you actually loved me. You could have come here and you could have done something about it. That is how Martha and Mary are coming before Jesus. If only you had been here. We asked you. We went to the source. We know that you love him. We've seen you do it for other people. In your own world, I'm sure you can see people in your own neighborhood, in your own family, that you see they have it so much better than you and you look at, if only we had it just like them. Why do they get to have it so easy? Yet here we are. We're trying to follow you, God. And some, for some reason, it seems harder. For some reason, the road seems more difficult. And so we can approach him like Martha, and we can question him, and we can wonder, why weren't you there? Why didn't you show up? Or we can fall to his feet like Mary, and we can just weep and go, this is not the way things are supposed to be. And I just don't get it. And I don't even have words to say, but I only have tears. And then we see Jesus respond to Mary in this way, in a loving way to both Mary and to Martha. Martha wanted answers. Mary wanted comfort. 
When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then we get these words, profound words, simple words. Jesus wept. Jesus already had the end in mind. Jesus already knew how this story was going to be played out. He knew exactly what he was going to do. Yet Jesus took the time to talk to Mary, or talk to Martha, and to weep with Mary. He didn't make a beeline to the tomb. He had work to do in their lives. They needed him to answer questions and to comfort them. And then those around him were able to see, to say, see how he loved him. See how Jesus loved Lazarus. We see this theme again. Come out, you love Lazarus. Jesus loves Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And now all those around see that he loves them. Even though Lazarus is in the tomb. That they can see his love. And that reality is true for you as well. Even though your only, if only question hasn't been answered, that your timeline doesn't mesh perfectly with God's timeline, that you can still rest assured that he loves you, he cares for you, and he's not going to leave you or forsake you, but he may not also answer your question in your time or in the way that you want it answered. And then there's the skeptics, of course. Some of them said, could he have not opened the eyes of the blind, also kept this man from dying? Mary and Martha knew it. The disciples knew it. They had seen Jesus time and time again. Heal a blind man to see, make a lame man to walk, make a deaf man to hear. They knew Jesus' power. They had even seen Jesus raise others from the dead. The difference being that he did that shortly after their death. You see, in Jewish culture, the spirit of the person who passed still hovered for three days. So for it to be at four days, this is a four-day death. Jesus, you delayed two days. You could have been here even a couple days ago. Well, this is a four-day death. It's over. It's done. Like, that's all she wrote. That's it. Lazarus is dead. And even those standing around are looking at Jesus, this miracle worker going, why didn't he show up? He, they, he loved him. He didn't show up. Jesus deeply moved again. I love this in here that we recognize that not only did Jesus weep, but he, he's deeply moved. He's 100% God, but he's also 100% human. He has emotion. He has feeling. And here we recognize that he's not just moved to weeping and crying, but this term here is deeply moved. It's best translated as he's filled with anger. He's upset. But why is Jesus upset? Is he upset that Mary and Martha or asking him questions and crying on his feet? Is he upset that Lazarus was sick? Is he upset at the Jews who are there gathered around questioning? No. Jesus is mad. He's upset because he's able to look at that situation just like Mary and Martha and all those that are standing around, and he's able to see that this is not how it was meant to be. This is not the design. Death was not part of the design. Jesus is angry at death. So he came to the tomb, to the cave, and a stone was laid against him. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And then Martha, the bold sister, uh, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time, 
There will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. The New King James Version says, Lord, surely he stinketh. It's <laughs> four days dead. And she has this, it almost seems like a jab in there. Not quite sure, but four days. Jesus, four days. We sent a messenger. He's four days dead. Four days dead, they're going to be an odor. And four days dead, you weren't here any sooner. Four days dead, his spirit's still not hovering around him. He's four days dead, Jesus. And this is the same Martha that just a few verses ago was pronouncing and declaring her faith in Jesus that she was saying, even now, even now, Jesus, I know, you, you know the Father will do whatever you ask. Even now, yes, I believe you're the resurrection of life. Yes, I believe in you. Yet all of a sudden, when Jesus is about to do his work, she begins to question, like, are you sure, Jesus? Like, you can see that there's a seed of doubt in her. Because that's what if-only moments do, right? If she's just wondering, if only, if only, Jesus, if only, if only, if only you had been here, you could have helped us. She begins to daydream and begin to wonder, why didn't you show up earlier? Why didn't you do something sooner? And if you ask those questions long enough, then you begin to doubt. You begin to doubt God's goodness. If you think that God doesn't love you because he didn't show up for you in the way that you thought he should have showed up at the time he should have showed up, and all you do is play that same tape over and over again in your mind and wonder, well, it could have been this way, it should have been this way, and God didn't show up the way that he should have showed up, you might begin to start to wonder, is God either not all-powerful or is he not all-loving? But either way, I don't know if I can trust him. And so that's where Martha is at at this point. She has some confidence, but it's also mixed with some doubt. So Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God, you're going to see the glory of God, Martha, and that's what this is all for. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus could have showed up. Jesus could have walked right into the house days earlier. Jesus could have healed him with a word, could have placed his hand on him, and he could have helped Mary and Martha and Lazarus out. The disciples had seen this miracle played out before in Jesus' three-year ministry. But in the case of Lazarus, Jesus had something different in mind. It wasn't just for Martha. It wasn't just for Mary or Lazarus. It was for his disciples to believe, and it was for all those who gathered around that Jesus wanted a crowd. Jesus didn't want to do another miracle at a bedside. He wanted to do a miracle at a graveside. So he calls out. He cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. You can almost hear the anger. He's calling out to Lazarus to come out of the tomb, but he's also calling out against death because he has authority over death because he said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And then the man who had died, Lazarus, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth, Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Amen. That even now, even now at a four-day death, even now when you think it's far over, even now when you thought, God, you didn't show up in the way I thought you were going to show up. God, you didn't show up on the timeline that I wanted you to show up. I went to you. I asked you. I did all the right things that even now, as Martha said, even now, 
Lazarus is able to come out of the tomb because it has nothing to do with a person's faith, but it has everything to do with Jesus and his faithfulness and his willingness to come into broken situations and call him out. That this could be the prequel, that this could be the foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to ultimately do just a few weeks later. And then what also happens from this is that new people come to faith in Jesus and what he's able to do and what he did for Lazarus. You see, large uh, in John chapter 12, just one chapter later, uh, the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there. They came out not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Jesus was able to raise Lazarus from the dead whenever he wanted to, but he wanted to make the greatest impact possible, not only for the individual, but collectively for the community. That he wanted to take that broken situation, he wanted to use the illness that turned to death so that others could actually come to life. And could it be the same for you? That your if-only moments where you're wondering, why didn't God show up? Why wasn't he here? I thought he could do something. I've seen him do stuff for me for someone else. If God was to break into your situation and actually change it, answer me this. Would anyone be able to come to faith because you saw God work in your life? Or would you or I just be a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more cozy because we wouldn't have hardship in our lives? But God has the wisdom and the timing that is perfect, that he uses the brokenness in our own lives so that he can be glorified and that others can come to a saving knowledge of who he is and what he's able to do. And that we can come to God like Martha. We can ask God questions. He's big enough and he can take it. And we can also weep at Jesus' feet. And we can also recognize this, that when it comes to our state before God, if we don't get a chance to ask questions and we don't get a chance to weep at his feet, that we're dead in a tomb in our own sin. And that we are just waiting for Jesus to come and to call us out. Just like we saw here this morning that Jesus called out, chased the, water, uh, the waters of baptism into new life. And he does the exact same thing for you. So this foreshadowing that Jesus gives us, that you have new life. You can have confidence that your God is all-powerful, that he is all-loving, and that even when you walk through difficult seasons, and even when that question bubbles up, why weren't you here? Why were you late that we can do this? In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence, not sheepishly, draw near to the throne of grace, to Jesus' throne, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We all have it, don't we? Times of need. Times of need where you don't know what to do or where to turn, and it's telling us right here, clear as day, that when you're trapped in that cycle, when you're stuck daydreaming on what if and where were you and how come and why not, that all you have to do is come to the throne of grace. Come to Jesus' feet. And it doesn't mean that he's going to make everything all right and change your situation and change your timeline and fix everything so it's okay. But in his presence, you can find comfort. In his presence, you can find answers. In his presence, you find the grace and mercy that is unending grace upon grace that he has for you. That in this broken world, we can trust this, that he can take those most broken situations and that in his hands, they're useful. In his hands, he can be glorified. 
in his hands, your brokenness and your what-ifs and your if-onlys can actually save someone else. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word and thank you for the way that you worked in the life of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And God, that we can see clearly through your word. God, that in our most difficult seasons and in our darkest moments, there's a unique opportunity for your light to shine the brightest and for your name to be glorified and for others to see most clearly in our brokenness just how good you are. God, for all those here who are in person and online, God, who are struggling with this and doubting your goodness and doubting your power and doubting your love, God, I pray that they are able to lean into you fully, trusting and knowing, God, that through the person of your son, Jesus Christ, that you took upon him all the weight of our sin, all our brokenness, and you nailed it to that cross. God, that we can move forward now with confidence, that we can come to your throne of grace. God, and while our situations might not change on this side of eternity, that we can move forward with confidence knowing that you walk with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.